On episode 82 of the High Performance Leadership Podcast, Building Trust. My intent is to be trustworthy, but I'm going to grade you on what you do and make a determination on whether or not you are trustworthy or not based on your actions. You're listening to the High Performance Leadership Podcast, insights and information from world-class leadership experts. Thanks for joining us. I'm Randy Lane, and welcome back to the podcast. This is the first official podcast of the new year. And to get the year started off right, let's talk about trust in the workplace. We recently kicked off the first Charity Champions Leadership Development Session of the year, and Chip talked about building trust. Charity Champions is a program 360 solution started with TF&B, your bank for life, to offer marketing and training to Central Texas nonprofits free of charge. And now let's listen to a part of Chip's talk. Trust, which is today's subject title, and the reason why I start with trust, it is the foundation of everything in our life, especially leadership, but it has to do with every relationship that you have. Do you realize that leadership is nothing more than having a relationship with the people that you are in charge of for that period of time in their life? Trust needs to be established in every relationship that you have. But yet, trust is one of those things that's this nebulous concept, isn't it? It's like, how do you define it? How how do you point it out when you see it? If somebody was to say to you right now, define trust to me, how would you define it? And what's interesting is this. When asked, the general public asked, how trustworthy are you? What do most people say? Oh, I'm very trustworthy. Absolutely very trustworthy. So then I say, okay, can I have a list of all your past relationships that ended badly? I'd like to call them and find out if they see you as trustworthy as you, or maybe some of the employees that you've worked with in the past, or some of your friendships that have broken up over the years, or any of those. Do they see you the same way you see you? Would they answer the same way? See, what's interesting, and we'll talk about this today, is that we see ourselves differently than people sometimes see us. Why is that? Why is it that people see us differently than maybe we see ourselves? Does it make you uncomfortable when I walk up here and stand like this? A little. A little. Why? Why does it make you feel uncomfortable? Well, in my personal space, and I don't really know you. Yeah, you don't know me. I'm in your personal space. And you're going to make me answer the question. I won't. I won't. I promise. I won't. (laughs) But the main reason that that happens is because she has no idea what my intent is. She doesn't know if I'm going to ask her to speak you know, if I'm going to embarrass her or if I'm going to ask her a hard question, if I'm going to make fun of her. She doesn't know anything. She, all she knows is here's someone I don't know that's walked up to me, is in my space, and, and so her heart rate changes. Maybe she starts sweating. Maybe she starts thinking, why me? Out of everybody else in this room, why did he pick me? That kind of stuff, right? See, our intent is invisible to other people. 
But yet, how are we graded by others? Their perception of us. Their perception of us. So we believe we're very trustworthy people because that's our intent. But yet, we leave it up to other people to interpret our intent. And sometimes they get it wrong. Sometimes they get it right, but for the most part, people get it wrong, not because it's their fault, but it's our fault because we don't share our intent enough. So why don't we? Why don't we share intent? Yeah, you should, yeah, you should know I'm trustworthy. I'm trustworthy. <laughs> it's that thing my dad said to my mom. They've been married now. My parents are missionaries and in India, and they have been for a lot of years back and forth. They live in the States, but they go over there, and they've been married 54 years now. And my dad has a long-standing joke that my mother still does not find funny, but the rest of us do. And he said, when we got married, I told you I loved you. If anything changes, I'll let you know. I, I don't know why you need to hear it regularly. So in his mind, 54 years ago, I told her, I love you. I want to marry you. You're my bride, and so because he's there every day working and coming home every night and doing all that stuff, the assumption is she knows how much he loves her. And he told her once, if anything changes, he'll let you know, but otherwise you just need to assume that love and that passion is still there. But yet, on occasion, people misunderstand our intention, and so they forget what our intention is. Does that ever happen? Do we give ourselves more credit than we should? Do we require others to work harder at sharing intent than maybe sometimes we do? Because we feel we're good at sharing our thoughts. So sharing our thoughts means the other person truly understands what I'm saying. How many of you in this room are really busy, personally and professionally? Okay, the rest of you aren't paying attention. Because everybody in this room, I know, because if you live in the United States, for sure, you, are, you have more to do than you have time to get it done. And so what happens is our communication style and what we do is shorter, quicker, more to the point, and we uh, make assumptions that people will get it because we did our job and we are trustworthy. They continue to drop the ball. And it's a self-perpetuating cycle. Should you trust everybody? Just a generic question. Should you trust everybody? No. Why not? Not everybody has the same intent that you do. Everybody's not trustworthy. Okay? Different values. Yeah, so what level of trust? What are, what are we talking about trust-wise? Different priorities. It's what we evaluate trust on, what our meaning is. See, our entire life is made up of past experiences. We're the only species on the planet that has the ability to think about tomorrow. Do y'all know that? I'm a huge animal lover, big dog lover, and it always surprises me, and I, I forget that animals don't have the ability to think past right now. I have two dogs. I have a Great Dane who's 177 pounds, went to the vet yesterday, he's massive, and I have a Maltese who's six pounds. So I have both extremes. And Bubba and Bentley. And both of them are, I just love them to death. But they truly can't think past right now. Their entire mindset is, 
you know, I'm here to give you love and receive love. I want to eat. I want to go outside. I want to play with my toys. That's pretty much it. They don't think about, you know, I wonder what we'll be doing this time next year. You know, I wonder, I wonder where we're going on vacation this summer. You know, I wonder what's happening. They, they can't. They don't have the capability of doing that. Only human beings do. So it's a curse and a blessing at the same time because we can anticipate what other people are going to do based on past experiences. We either learn it through spaced repetition of watching and observing them. So animals can learn that I'm not supposed to go to the bathroom in the house. I'm supposed to go outside. So they can learn through habits, but they don't think about the future of it. So with human beings, we are made up of a whole constellation of past experiences, which we frame to try and analyze what's happening to us right now. There's two things I avoid like the plague during this training. Religion and politics, because you're not supposed to do that. But there's so much good content right now for leadership development with some of our current administration. It's very difficult for me not to use some of the content. So I'm not going to talk about what I believe. I'm going to use examples. So let me ask how many of you believe and trust in our direction of the United States, possibly even the world? How many of you trust that we're in safe hands? Now you want to put stipulations on the question. Yes. Of course, because we all do that. We all do that, right? So I ask a very generic, simple answer, and everybody says, well, it depends. Well, what does it depend on? What, what does it depend on? Who you're talking about, but more importantly, I said our current administration. So that is the federal government. And I'm not picking out one person, even though I know you all are thinking of one person. I'm saying general administration right now, Republicans, Democrats, everybody, we are to follow the laws of the land that we live in What's your level of trust that we are in, headed in the right direction? Okay, so if I follow through with that thought then, that trust is based off of your beliefs, not reality. It's based off of your reality, not reality. Okay, so if I take this sheet of paper right now and I let go of it, what's going to happen? How many of you have trust that if I let go of this piece of paper, it's going to fall to the ground. Everybody in here. Why? Because the law of gravity. And because you can do this a thousand times and get the same response every time, right? So through spaced repetition, we see it, we touch it, we feel it, we all agree upon it. There's group consensus. We trust that if we drop this a thousand times, a thousand times the same thing will happen over and over again. That's called reality. We know what's going to happen because it's predictable over a long period of time, and we can consensus why all agree upon it. What is the most unpredictable species on the planet? Human beings. Animals are fairly predictable. We are the ones that are not predictable. So if we talk about the current administration, that's one thing. What if I narrowed down and I said, okay, North Korea. There's a gentleman building missiles. What is his intent to use those missiles? That's his intent to destroy the United States. Why do you believe that? He's threatening to act upon it. How do you get that information? What's that? The media. 
How many of you trust the media? <laughs> okay, so now I'm confused. What you're saying is, where I get my information I don't trust, but I know what his intent is. Now you've confused me. How many of you know how a commode works? Raise your hand if you know how a commode works. Okay, how does a commode work? Do you work for Habitat for Humanity? Okay, see, I called on the wrong person. How many of you believe you know how a commode works? What's the law of when you push the button and water goes away and it fills back up, how does that happen? Gravity. You can ask 10 people, random people on the street, how does a commode work? They will all tell you they know how it works. Why? Because they use one every day and they have their entire life, so they know how it works. I go, I sit down, I push the button, and it goes away, and the next time I come back, it's there, right? It does it the same every time. That's how a commode works. Truth is, that's not how a commode works. It works through how you just articulated it, which is gravity. All that water in the back of the bowl flushes down because of gravity, flushes everything away, fills back up. Right? Pretty simple concept. That's what's called the illusion of knowledge. And everybody in this room suffers from the illusion of knowledge. Some of you say, I asked, why is Rocket Man testing nuclear weapons? And we all, I'm not picking on anybody, we all say, well, he wants to develop nuclear weapons because he hates the United States. He's going to point them at us. And our administration's taunting him right now, and it's going to escalate to we're both going to be pointing nukes at each other. And maybe I'm making a blanket statement. Maybe I'm, maybe some of you disagree with me, but let's just play this game for a second. And so what we do is we say, this makes me nervous. I need to learn more about it. I'm going to turn on the news where I'm going to get all of my knowledge of what's true and what's not true. And that's how I'm going to base my judgments. And then I'm going to look for evidence to support the way I feel, which is truth. So if you think about this, if, if I am a Republican, what news channel do I watch? If I'm Democrat, what news channel do I watch? Everything else, that's right. So if that is the case, if I want to learn the truth and I'm hard right Republican, what news channels do you think I get my information from? I turn on Fox, I watch Fox, and I'm talking about my parents right now. My dad will call me daily worried about the world imploding any minute. I mean, literally twice a day, he will call me and say, turn on Fox News. You are not going to believe what's happening. I'm like, Dad, I know exactly what you're going to tell me. And unfortunately, the world is moving along while you're sitting on the couch listening to all this. And, and I'm sorry that you do this to yourself. Turn it off. Go for a walk. Talk to mom. Spend some time with your grandkids. Tell her you love her. For God's sake, come, come hang out with me. Let's go to Baylor games. Let's go do something productive. Turn off Fox News. Quit filling your mind full of garbage. The truth, if we want to talk about truth, I'm not trying to be on a soapbox here. I'm trying to help everybody understand how delusional we are about what we believe is real and what is truth, is we become what we think about all day long. Let me say that again. We become what we think about all day long. And so be very careful about what you feed your mind. 
because what you feed your mind becomes your reality and then we look very closely for evidence to support the way we feel about that. It's called conscious bias. Randy, if I like Randy and I think Randy's a great guy, then it's ironic I see evidence that Randy's a great guy. And I believe that all of you see what I see in Randy because my brain is wired to look for all the positive stuff. And even if he steps outside a line on occasion, I think that's a, a, a blip. It's not who he is. It was a mistake or an accident. I move on because my intent is, and I believe that Randy's a good guy. Now vice versa, if I had a different opinion about Randy, and I believe Randy's not a good guy, I believe everybody sees what I see. And, and I get worked up like, did y'all not just see what I just saw? And when people disagree with me, now I don't like them either. I mean, it is so obvious, and you're telling me that I'm wrong? Did you not pay attention of what I just saw? You did. You must be conspiring with, with him. Now I have two people I dislike because you didn't agree with me. Because I have evidence to prove that he's not a good guy or he is a good guy. Do we do that? And then the more we look for evidence to support the way we think, the more we become rooted in our truth of what reality is. And then when people disagree with our reality, we get infuriated. And unfortunately, there's way too many truths that we argue about. We argue about our belief of truth. See, I'm five foot nothing. That is truth. That is reality. I could be angry and upset with my parents that it's their fault that I'm five foot nothing. I should have been taller, right? I'm bald. It's my dad's fault. It's not my fault. It's my dad's fault. I could be angry. He made me short and bald, right? And it's Randy's fault that I'm fat because he brings kolaches and donuts to work every day. So it's not even my fault that I'm... See, everything in my life, I can find a way to make it not my fault, but it's my cross to bear, what I have to... I have to deal with this, not accept reality. Trust is built or taken away based off of interactions with other people. Let's just think in terms of leadership development. In leading other people, people should not trust you because you say to them, you should trust me. I wish it worked that way, but it doesn't, right? Do we earn trust or is trust given? It's earned. It's not given. We'll come back to that. So there are steps, okay? And these are cycles. Everything in our life becomes habit-forming, positive or negative. And would you all agree that we are nothing more than a series of daily habits that turn into weeks, months, years, and a lifetime? Our habits define pretty much how we end up our life. So with face-to-face -face interaction, there are two cycles. There's cycle of trust and survival. Let's talk about survival first. Step one is we fail to be trustworthy. Now, some of you might think, that is so blatantly obvious, I'm not even sure why that's step one. Ironically, there are people that are not trustworthy who do not believe that their shadiness really is that shady. How do we define trustworthy in the gray area? Example is this, let's say for example, Madeline, Carlos, Randy, all the people, were, they all have young kids. So let's say it's late in the day and Randy gets a call from his wife and she says, our daughter has a school project due tomorrow. I don't have the stuff that I need to get. It's already late. 
kids are upset, blah, blah, blah. Randy's like, well, I'm really busy. I've got a lot going on too. I, and she says, I need, here's a list of stuff I need you to go get from Target or Walmart or wherever for the school, for her project. And Randy says, you know what? I think we have all of that here at work. We have markers, we have tape, we have sticky notes. We, we have all of that stuff. And so he goes and he just takes some of the stuff that he needs for his daughter's class project. And he takes it home and she uses it. And maybe the whole lump sum total is three bucks. Okay, we're not talking about walking out with a cash register. We're talking about some basic office supplies. Is Randy trustworthy? Randy, you got a lot of people going, no, he's not trustworthy. Now, let's keep something in mind here. He drinks more than $3 worth of coffee every single day that's given freely to him, right? But if he takes something that isn't given to him under the assumption that if I asked Chip, I know he would let me anyway, but he's not here for me to ask him. It's $3 worth of stuff. It's not a lot of money. It's so on and so forth. I believe in Randy's heart, his intent. I believe if I asked Chip, Chip would say, I can't believe you're even asking me for these little simple things. Of course you can't. So he has to make some assumptions of the way I would react, so on and so forth. But I'm asking you, is Randy trustworthy? It's the principle of it. Have you ever sped in your car? Have you ever sped in your car? You have? Should I trust you? Because there is a clear law that you clearly break, knowing you clearly break it, are you trustworthy? Okay, so if all of us agree to cut out 10 minutes early and we all agree to it, if we all agree to cut out 10 minutes early, does it mean all of us are not trustworthy or all of us are trustworthy because we all communicated that we were going to leave early? So what you're telling me, if, if, if I understand this, is that I shouldn't trust anyone in this room because some of y'all sped here, some of y'all left work early, but who decides? Well, that, there's the rub. There's the rub. Who decides? So if there's three criminals that decide to rob a bank together and they all trust each other that we're going to do this together. And I trust you're not going to tell the cops because I'm not going to tell the cops. And they look at each other and, you know, shake hands and blood brothers and they swear to each other, I can trust you, you can trust me, we're going to go steal this bank together. Should they trust each other? So trust is through the paradigm in which we see it through. So when we say step one is is if you're in a cycle, you fail to be trustworthy. When we say this, that means we have to have some type of assumption of what we're grading trust on, right? Some type of standard of trust. Who gets to decide the standard of trust? Relationship. So what happens if I clearly stated on that example of the bug, I clearly stated what I believe trust should look like, and when you brought something back to me, it didn't look the same. Should I not trust you because you didn't understand? Let's walk through, because we can run in circles on this for a while if we want to, but step one is we fail to be trustworthy. Step two, we see others as adversaries. Everything that we do in this cycle is I know I can't trust anybody, so I've always got to protect myself because everybody is out for themselves. Nobody's out for me. I know that. That is a fact of life. So every, I got to be on guard with everybody. 
I engage in collusion. We're going to talk about collusion in a minute. And it's a different definition than what you think. And the next is we default to win-lose outcomes. What's a win-lose? In every relationship, I have to be the winner, and I position everything to make sure that I win because if I'm not winning, I'm losing it. Everything in their mind is a sport. If I'm playing a pickup game, I'm either winning or losing. And this becomes habit forming. Now, on the cycle of trust, we start with step one, be trustworthy. A lot of deep conversation in that, and we'll come back to it. We have to see others as allies. We have to engage in dialogue, which is tough, and we commit to win-win outcomes. This also becomes habit forming. Now, this is very easy said and hard to do. So Harvard Business Review, I try and back up pretty much all of my research with universities. And this was a article that came out, I guess, a year ago. Very good article uh, by Paul Zak wrote it, but it's about a professor. And what he did is he studies trust. And that's what he does for a living. And there's some details in here. There's seven different things as a leader that you need to do to build trust. But the research was really interesting. And some of you have heard this. I think I talked about it last year. And that is they started doing some experiments. And the first experiment they did, because they wanted to study trust, is they had people come into the laboratory and they said, we want you to take as much money as you feel comfortable and we're going to have you wire it to a complete stranger. Now, we know for a fact that the money will triple. So if you wire $100 to the stranger, they will receive triple that, 300 It's up to them whether they share any of it at all with you. Or it doesn't, it's completely up to them. So now we have a quandary. So the subjects come in. The more they send, there's a much larger possibility that if the person on the other end shares the profits with them, they're going to make a lot more money. And the less they send, the less they risk losing. But they have no idea who the other person is that they're sending it to. And they don't know. They know for a fact that it's going to triple, but they don't know if the person's going to share with them. So what they did is they brought these people in, set them down and said, okay, how much do you want to transfer? And it was their own money. And right before they decided how much they were going to transfer, they drew blood from them. And then they had them transfer the money. And then the people that were on the other side that got the money, once they saw that amount, they drew blood from them. And then the people that received the money, they said, how much do you want to send back, if any? It's totally up to you. And as soon as they made the decision of how much they were going to give back or not give back, as soon as that decision was made, they drew blood. And then when the person received money back, whatever that was, at that time, they drew blood. And they started studying the blood to see what was happening. And what they found was there is a common denominator of a chemical that's released in your brain, and it's called oxytocin. Oxytocin is the love drug or the connection drug. It is highly produced when mothers give birth. Matter of fact, if you need to be induced at the hospital, they induce you with oxytocin, one of the things that generates that. There are ways to re release oxytocin in your brain. You have spikes of oxytocin when your level of connection and trust with other people happen. Now, for example, there's only one part of our brain that is exposed to the world, and that is actually our eyeballs. 
Our eyeballs are actually, our pupils are part of our brain. They're connected directly to it, and it's the only thing. 70% of trust comes from what we see. Less comes from what we hear and what we read and what we experience. 70% is what we see because it's directly connected to our brain. And that's how we take in a lot of information. There are two or three things that people do, and you, if I point them out, you'll, you'll know now why we have a tradition of this. One is eye contact releases oxytocin, small amounts. That's why when we tell a child growing up, you know, stand up, shake his hand, and look him in the eye. Why? It's because there's a chemical reaction of oxytocin that produces trust. Appropriate touch. Let me reemphasize one of those words. Appropriate touch that releases oxytocin. When you hug someone, it actually releases a little bit of oxytocin. When you're playing basketball with somebody and they make a good shot and you high five them, that's like, hey, we're together. Good job. We're on the same team. Appropriate. If your boss comes up and puts his arm around you and says, man, yesterday in that meeting, you were a rock star. You did a great job. Thank you so much for what you give back. That appropriate touch, it creates that connection of trust with people. Public words of affirmation, massive release of oxytocin and some other endorphins are released too, but primarily it's oxytocin. And that is, if I keep, I'll keep my theme going. If I pick on Randy and I say things publicly that are not in favor of him, lowers trust. But if I publicly recognize his good work, his level of trust that I will, you know, not fire him, let him go, all that kind of stuff goes up. Because if I publicly recognize his good work, it reinforces trust. And what do we want as leaders in our people? We want them to what? Trust us. So how many leaders do you know, or maybe you personally, use recognition as a tool to reward or punish? I'll recognize some by unpurposely omitting others as a punishment to them, not as a reward to the person I'm lifting up. A lot of you work in nonprofits, so maybe I'm making some assumptions that it's all rainbows and butterflies where you work. But in corporate America, there's jealousy, there's a little bit of jockeying for position, some gossip on occasion, those kind of things. I know it doesn't happen where you work. I know I'll have to use other examples to bring it to real life for y'all. How many of you know the number one killer of the release of oxytocin? Literally shuts down the release. Stress. Stress literally shuts off the ability to release oxytocin. I'll give you a real life example, and I will tell you I'm a recovering failed leader at this, and I am still struggle with it today. And that is, I have a lot to do, a lot going on, and I'm out a lot. I'm out teaching, I'm traveling, I'm all over the place, and I know there's a bunch of stuff we gotta get done, and I walk into the office, and my team just so happens at that point decides to watch a funny YouTube video together while drinking coffee. Oh, and it just so happens that our Chinese just was delivered. 
Yeah, come on in. We're watching a YouTube video. Have you ever seen this? Ah, oh, Chip, you've been gone for a week. Good to see you back. I'm stressed. I walk in my office, pile all my stuff down, and what does my brain think? Yeah, what I... While the cat's away, do you not care about this place like I do? I wish I could sit around all day and watch YouTube videos and have Chinese takeout. And my level of stress obviously has not translated to your level of stress. Good news, today's that day. I'm going to make sure that you get to share in my stress because my oxytocin valve has been shut off because I am stressed beyond belief. So you're about to understand what stress feels like because I'm, I'm just a giver. I'm just a giver like that. I, I want to make sure that everybody understands, right? And so when I overreact to the fact that that's going on, what do you think happens to the level of trust that I've worked so diligently hard to try and build up? What has happened now? The next time I leave the office, what do you think they're going to do? You think they're going to say, wow, we probably shouldn't do this because Chip was really, really upset with us and hard on us. There might be a couple that say, I feel bad. But for the most part, what do you think people think? I wish he traveled more. I mean, that's what, they, it's not, we're happy to have him back. We're like, when is he leaving again? Right? He thinks we don't get any work done, you know, while he's gone. The truth is, we get a lot of work done while he's gone. Because we get along and we're having a good time. We trust each other and we work harder because we don't have the level of stress that's induced when he comes back and thinks that we don't work hard. And so as a leader, it is extremely difficult to be able to trust people when we are stressed. Would you agree with that? There's four facts about organizational life. The work of, of an organization is accomplished through people. People are interdependent and interdependence requires collaboration. And collaboration is built on the foundation of trust. When I say the word salesperson, what do you think? Run? <laughs> what else? <coughs> salesperson. Pushy. Pushy? Dishonest? Loud? Manipulative? Helpful? So when I say the word salesperson, and most people go to a negative connotation, it's because over a period of time, people have grown to believe, whether it's true or not, irrelevant, that all salespeople want to sell us something we don't need or want. They're all pushy. They're all loud. They're all manipulative. They're all of these things. So we have decided to lump all salespeople under one blanket of negative. I can go to every organization in the world and ask them, does your receptionist have to get authority to tell a salesperson no? I was like, well, no. We encourage it. So the, the receptionist has no other responsibility in this company except to answer the phone, but has carte blanche ability to tell any salesperson that calls, no, we don't want what you're selling. That's a pretty strong overlie of belief globally that salespeople are not here in our best interest. Now, I personally believe that every single person in this room is in sales. All of you are. Every single person in this room. 
If you've ever been in a relationship, you've been in sales. If you have kids, you're definitely in sales. If you lead other people, you are in sales. It's all about persuasion, getting people to see what you see, right? So how do we make the leap from putting everybody else in one bucket that has the title of salesperson, they're different than me. I'm not in sales, so I'm not sleazy. All salespeople must be sleazy, right? How do we make that leap and feel justified in that belief? It's called fundamental attribution error. Those that have sat through my classes before, I will say this a lot. You'll hear it pretty much in every class that I teach. It's called fundamental attribution error. It's a psychology term that basically explains that there's an error in the way we think. So what fundamental attribution error is this. We want to be graded on our intent, but we grade others on their actions. So whether fundamental attribution error, so where the error is, is that my intent is to be trustworthy, but I'm going to grade you on what you do and make a determination on whether or not you are trustworthy or not based on your actions. But my actions are irregardless of this. My intent is to be a trustworthy person and that's how I should be graded. Regardless of what I've done in the past or what I may do in the future, my intent is how I should be graded. And we look for commonality in the people that we associate with to decide whether or not they are, should be in our circle or not. So fundamental attribution errors of perfect example, in my opinion, of some of the massive stuff that's going on in the world right now, and all you have to do is go to the media, and the media will give you the illusion of knowledge, like they know what's going on, and what they do is they have fundamental attribution error. Fox's intent is to provide you fair and balanced information, and so is CNN and CBS and NBC and all the rest of them. Their intent is to be fair and balanced. Unfortunately, they grade harshly on the actions of others and they find sound bites and snippets to try and prove how the other side is incompetent, not trustworthy, should, should be kicked out of office, whatever it might be, because they want to be graded on intent but want to point out the actions of others. Both sides start to do it. It escalates to a point to where I would assume the majority of us in this room get exhausted with it. It's like two kids that continually bicker and say, it's not my fault, I didn't start it, he did, she did, and it's constant. And the general population, the people in the middle, are frustrated. Is that a fair statement? It's based off of fundamental attribution error. If you've ever been in a relationship that's gone south, one of the first things any qualified counselor might have you do is say, Chip, tell Mary Sample why you were smitten with her when you first met. Tell me all the things you admire about Mary Sample. Tell me three things that Mary Sample has done in the last six months, prove to you once again that she's the type of person that's trustworthy. And it is amazing when the other person does it, the whole session changes. But we are so eager to come in and say, look, I have written down all kinds of ammunition for today's session. And I guarantee you, she, the counselor, he or she, is gonna be on my side after today. Because once I point out all this evidence, 
there's only one clear conclusion to this, and that is you are wrong. And I've got all the evidence to prove it. Do we do this? Let it be at work, and we constantly do it. Thanks for listening to the High Performance Leadership Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review us. Every little bit helps. Our website is hpleadershippodcast.com. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash hpleadershippodcast. Follow us on Twitter at hpl underscore podcast. And shoot us an email at podcast at 360solutions.com. Until next time, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.